July 1937, the world's most famous woman pilot disappears during her attempt to circumnavigate the globe. In 1988, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, a small nonprofit known by its acronym TIGER, began a science-based investigation of the Earhart disappearance. Decades of forensic research and a dozen South Pacific expeditions have now produced hard evidence from multiple disciplines to provide the long-sought answer to the riddle. In this series of conversations with Joan Sachs, Tiger Executive Director Rick Gillespie takes us step-by-step step through the adventures, the setbacks, and the discoveries that uncover the evidence that has solved aviation history's greatest mystery. Hi, I'm Joan Sachs. Like many of you, I've read newspaper and magazine articles, and I've watched television documentaries about Tiger's adventures and discoveries. As a member of Tiger, I've participated in research, and I know there is so much more to the story that has never been told. I've known Rick Gillespie and his wife, Tiger co-founder Pat Thrasher, for many years. So when Rick asked me to help him bring the behind-the-scenes story of Tiger's Earhart expeditions to the public in a series of podcast episodes, I enthusiastically agreed. Over the years, there have been 12 Tiger expeditions to the South Pacific, and we've organized the podcast into seasons. To follow the progress of the investigation, you'll want to listen to the episodes and seasons in order. For newcomers, we make it easy to catch up with the story so far by publishing a compilation at the end of each season. Now let's get to the next episode. Hi, Rick. So at the end of the last episode, you just finished the fifth day of searching with three days left before you had to head back to Hawaii. You'd had problems with the equipment and the ship and you hadn't found anything and you had a sonar return from the AUV that looked like a wing in among all the Norwich city wreckage, but the ROV was having a hard time finding it to see if it really was airplane wreckage, and you were going to try again the next day. Time was running short, but you felt the technical problems had finally been sorted out, and then, at the end, and you always do this to us, <laughs> you said there was more trouble ahead. So... Yeah, well, that seems to be a recurring theme with technology at Niku. It surely does. At, at the end of day five, they sent the AUV out for another all-night run collecting sonar data. But when we came down for breakfast in the morning, we learned that the AUV had gotten hung up somewhere for four hours during the night. Oh, gosh. But it had freed itself and continued, it was a deep mission. They were going really deep that day. But then it got stuck again as it was ascending for recovery. Oh no. And now it was somewhere 722 meters down there. That's 2,368 feet. Oh my gosh. Somewhere off the northwest tip of the island. Wow. Here we go again. <laughs> we have, we have to use the ROV to find and free the AUV. <laughs> but this time, the rescue mission is going to be much more hazardous. The terrain in, in that area is a series of cliffs dotted with caves, and there are these large fern-like coral growths that stick up and can snag the ROV tether. 
You're always oh. getting it snagged and you have to back up and untangle it. But what makes it really bad is that the ROV only has 800 meters of umbilical. So at 722 meters, we will be literally at the end of our tether wow. with only like a couple hundred feet of slack to work with. And the ship will have to maintain position very precisely directly above us while we search for the AUV. This is really tricky. It does sound complicated. Okay, so the ROV goes over the side about 8.30 in the morning. We're going to go look for this damn AUV again. <laughs> and on the way down, the tether snagged on one of those big coral fans. Now, that reef slope is, is unstable. And... When you pull something free, like the, one of these coral fans, it it triggers a, a landslide, oh. an underwater landslide. And that's what happened this time. And all this stuff, these big chunks of coral that got knocked loose when we pulled the coral fan loose, hit the tether, snag on the tether, and start dragging the tether down and the ROV with it. And here we are sitting in the in the command cockpit <laughs> in the dark watching these screens. And it really does feel like you're down there with the, oh, the inside the ROV. It <laughs> creates this illusion. And suddenly it feels like we're being dragged to the bottom <laughs> of the ocean. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> but it... it, it worked itself out and and it, it was okay but it was just oh gosh whoa so we're down there searching for over an hour <clears throat> we eventually find the AUV it's it's wedged crosswise in a cave it's like so what you do it, it's, it's like it parallel parked yeah. inside the cave <laughs> um, so Wolfgang goes in with the claw on the ROV and he he gently grabs a handle near the near the stern of the fish and pulls it free and it gradually makes its way back up to the surface and so by 11:30 in the morning both the ROV and the AUV are back aboard KOK but because of the effort of keeping that ship directly over the ROV while we're doing the the rescue back and forth with the throttle, back oh, and forth right. with the throttle. It trashed the throttle control system again. Oh, no. And it takes them about seven hours to fix it. So we so just there's lost... there's your daylight. We just lost the whole afternoon. Wow. So we lost the morning doing the rescue, and we're going to lose the whole afternoon. We've lost the day. Wow. Well, okay. So we'd been at Niku for almost a week at that point, and we'd never left the ship. <laughs> and with all the equipment failures... Everyone was pretty frustrated and tense, and we couldn't do anything that afternoon anyway. So I thought, okay, this is a good opportunity to let everybody have some time on the island. Uh, we'll, we'll, had you planned to do that at some point anyway I, while I you were there? I figured there would there, there would probably be a time yeah. when it was right, but I hadn't. I was just waiting for the right opportunity, and yeah. this seemed to be it. Yeah. So we put a skiff over the side. Now, KOK is not like Naya, which has a, a dive deck that's specifically designed to get off and on the ship. Right. So, Did they have, they had a swim platform sort of at water level? They didn't have any kind of platform at water level, KOK. For KOK, if you're going to get into a skiff, first you have to launch the skiff, 
and then you bring it up under a, a ladder that just goes down the side of the ship. Oh, it's kind wow. of a long ladder down the side. It's wow, that sounds kind exciting. Of like, kind of like getting in a landing craft in World War Two. You know? <laughs> but we got everybody into the skiffs, and there were twenty five people that um, came ashore. We had to make several trips, hmm. and I played tour guide. You know, here's this, here's that. Let's go see Gallagher's tomb and you know, so forth. Uh, Nico really is a, a beautiful place if all you have to do is sightsee. Yes, and, and everybody had a good time. Who else better to be the tour guide? Well, I knew my way around. Sure, <laughs> Lord knows. And <clears throat> by six thirty that evening, we had everybody back aboard ship, and they'd all had their nice outing. Tomorrow we'll use the ROV to go check out a couple of promising targets. We've got the wing among the North City wreckage that we hadn't been able to find on day five, day before yesterday. Mm-hmm. And there was a target that Phoenix spotted up to the north. It was, a, we called it a teepee, because it, it kind of looked like a teepee-shaped sonar target that they were really very confident, a very high probability that this is a man-made object. Huh. And, of course, any sizable man-made object is yes. something we absolutely want to look at. So it's day seven. We launch the ROV at 8.30 in the morning and head for the Norwich City wreckage to look for the wing. And after about an hour and a half of picking our way carefully through the, the shipwreck debris, because you really have to be careful. I bet. We found an object at the coordinates given to us by Phoenix. And it was definitely shipwreck wreckage. Uh-huh. Oh, well... Okay. Could you see that it looked like a wing? I mean, well, did it kind it, of have it, that shape? it looked maybe sort of like what the sonar target looked like. And oh. these are the coordinates where Phoenix says it was. Right, right. So we figured, okay, I guess that's it. And then from there, we went up north to check out the the teepee. Uh-huh. It was a rock. Oh. <laughs> okay. Jeez. Mm-hmm. You know, and that took a couple, three hours. So by lunchtime, we had the ROV back aboard. And we reviewed the video we'd shot of the object in the North City debris field because we weren't real comfortable about that. And after we compared it to the sonar image of the wing, we decided that that's not the wing target. Oh. That we, you think it we, was still there? Yeah, we, just... we need to try again. We're going to wow. make a third attempt to find this thing that might be a wing. So we put the RV back in the water and we head back to the wreckage it's about a thousand feet down we looked around and looked around and did find a target not at the coordinates the phoenix gave us but we did find a target that of a feature that definitely matched the size and shape and general appearance of the sonar wing target ah but the things that we had were hoping would be aluminum wing ribs turned out to be steel girders. Oh, this I mean, is shipwreckage right. that just happens to mimic the, the the shape of an airplane wing. Wow. I'm not sure what part of the ship it was. Oh, but, but you can imagine uh, the it, it was a big ship. So had everybody fooled, choices. but you know there it is, more shipwreckage. Hmm. So the end of day seven. We've got uh, two targets found and identified, and no airplane. Wow. Okay, so day eight's going to be our last day. 
It's Thursday, July 19th, 2012. And once again, the AUV malfunction. Oh, no. It returned to the surface as it was supposed to, but it was in really close to the island, to the edge of the reef. It's not supposed to do that. No. What happened? And, well, uh, and, and, and well, they had lost communication with it, so they weren't able to tell it what to do, and it came up wherever it decided to come up, and it turned out to be right in tight to the reef edge. Now, KOK has to get up right close to the thing to lift it back aboard. Oh, you know, they have a crane, and it's got to be right. right there beside the ship. And the captain of the KOK tried to get in to recover it and said, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. This is way too close to the reef edge. Mm. You know, I, I, I can't let the ship get aground on that, on that reef. And this is happening at 4 o'clock in the morning. So he musters oh. all hands, and they launch a skiff, and they go in, and, you know, it's in, the AUV is in there in the surf, right? Oh, And it's, it's dark, and, but they get in there, and they attach a line, and they tow it out to deeper water where KOK could recover it. Captain was really unhappy. <laughs> and he was not a pretty sight when he was on hand. I mean, oh, no. He's a great guy, but boy, you put his ship in danger like that, and he's, um, yeah. So um, during that, that day, we continued searching with the ROV, but we didn't find anything of particular interest. Mm -hmm. And by 5.30 that night, the ROV was back aboard, and by 8 p.m., KLK was headed back to Honolulu. That's but, disappointing. Uh, well, the adventures weren't over, as it turned out. Oh. The ship's propulsion system was in such bad shape after the abuses of supporting the ROV. Again, she was an old ship, and we had really run her hard. Uh, uh, so that really ROV. wasn't how it was supposed to be used? That wasn't supposed to. Yeah be the way it was going to be used. So KOK could only limp along at like seven knots. Uh -huh. And there was this constant fear that the whole system would just quit altogether. Oh, gosh, in the middle of... In the, the middle of the friggin' Pac Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And they cow. would have to send out a seagoing tug to find us and tow us back to Hawaii. Oh, my gosh. And God knows what that would what have been. What an ignoble end to the uh, trip that would geez, be. Jeez, it would. But. What was your, what did she go on your way out there? Like, what was normal travel uh, speed? About nine knots is, uh, is what, hmm. which wasn't what she, she was supposed to make ten. Right, I remember that. But you she would that. only make uh. eight or nine on a good day, often eight. But here, we were doing good to do seven knots. And then the worry about it. I mean, that's that was the worse. worst thing. Yeah. You know, was like, how's she doing? How's she doing? Uh, so far, <laughs> she's doing good. But there's no way to predict. Oh. But she hung together, and we made it back in late by a couple of days, but, but we were okay. Mm. Now, all right. Our original plan had been for 10 days on site. Right. 200 hours of searching over a period of 10 days of round-the-clock operations. What we got was eight days on site because of longer than expected transit times to and from NICU. Yeah. And 
86, not 200, 86 hours of searching due to repeated equipment failures. Oh. 57%, over half of our time, had been non-productive time. Oh, that's so frustrating. And the net result was that we were able to examine only a small fraction of the area we had hoped to cover. Earhart's Lockheed Electra might still be down there, mm. and we just didn't look in the right place yet. So uh, all we could do, we figured, would be to carefully review the data and the video we had collected to see if we'd missed something and then figure out what to do next. That's wow. all you could do. Meanwhile, our $2 million expedition was still $400,000 in debt to the University of Hawaii for the ship charter. Oh, gosh. You know, it's kind of hard to raise money for an expedition that is already over and has failed <laughs> to produce the, the hope-for results. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I've, I've had fundraising challenges before, but that was, that was a good one. Wow. <clears throat> and... Okay, so almost a year. By, by the following May of 2013, we had repaid $50,000, but we still owed them $350,000. And the university was understandably getting a wee bit impatient. I can imagine. This. Oh, man, we don't want to do this to them. But what are we going to do? Well, we've got to figure out something. Meanwhile, it was starting to look like the expedition might not have been as unsuccessful as we thought. Oh, why? What uh, happened? Well, a close review of the ROV video by our forensic imaging specialist, Jeff Glickman, oh, uh -huh. turned up what might be a debris field of coral-encrusted aircraft wreckage. Now, again, you're looking at video taken from an ROV, and these are chunks of coral that might not be chunks of coral uh, okay well maybe you know maybe this is airplane wreckage and then we did this detailed analysis of the sonar data collected by phoenix and spotted an anomalous shape uh, on the edge of the on the, the, the slope of the reef that might be the electra but had not been noticed by Phoenix. They, they never said anything to us about it and said, why don't you go check this out? Oh. We, hmm. we found that ourselves, but after we got home doing a really detailed analysis of the data they had collected, right. that was really their job to spot stuff that might be airplane wreckage. But everything they had spotted that we went and checked out turned out to be yeah, either ship shipwreck wreckage or rocks. Hmm. So now we had something that, well, you know, this thing... Is the right in the right place? And when I say the right place, we had figured that the airplane might logically be a little bit south and down a bit deeper than where we had seen the uh, thing in the 1937 Bevington photo right. that we're quite sure was landing gear wreckage. Which indicated, okay, if that's where the airplane went over the edge, leaving its landing gear behind, the airplane should be right down here someplace. Hmm. And it Is was that, the right so down that's here where the wreckage place <laughs> yeah, wow. that, that we saw this anomaly in the 
the sonar data that was kind of the right dimensions to be a Lockheed Electra fuselage. Wow. Um, so, geez, you know, we got to go back and look at this. <laughs> we, we may have found it and not known that we found it. But before we could even think about raising the money for a new expedition, we still had to figure out some way to pay for the last one. Huh. Well, fortunately, a very wealthy individual on our board of directors stepped forward and said, now, we, we can't string out the University of Hawaii like this. And he made it possible for us to pay off that debt. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, God, thank you. <laughs> you know, we pulled our butt out of the fire. It wasn't the One first more time, time. we done that. <laughs> no, this is it was great. Uh, but you know, I I have described that whole 2012 expedition as uh, like trying to climb a volcano that unexpectedly erupts. Uh-huh. Well, it turns out it wasn't through erupting. Oh, yeah, uh, it had another eruption in store for us. And this one was a doozy. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, The last thing on earth we expected. But we'll talk about that in season 10. (laughs) Okay, well, we will be eager to listen to that. (laughs) Thank you, Rick. Thanks for listening. The Earhart Expeditions is a serial history of Tiger's 12 expeditions to the South Pacific. We release a new episode each Tuesday. You can receive special bonus episodes and get access to Tiger's extensive video library by becoming a premium subscriber. Just go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search on Tiger, T-I-G-H-A-R. You can also be a part of the adventure and participate in research. Go to tiger.org and click on Join Tiger. See you next Tuesday.